Hi, it's Alan Carter. Here's what I learned on the podcast today. More details about the vaccine rollout in Canada. Should we spread out the first dose from the second dose? Are there any clear answers? We're going to talk about the changes to the Divorce Act. I learn about how that is changing. Plus, I learn more about Buttergate and the truth with what's going on with our dairy. Let's get to it. Well, welcome, welcome. My name is Alan Carter. Before we begin, if you don't mind, just do me a solid, just do me a favor, just take a deep breath in. Just one, just a moment here, just take a deep breath in. And now you can be outraged about the vaccine rollout in this country and in this province. There's lots to be angry about. There's many, many questions that you have. But now is the time for the deep breathing. It's not that the questions are not valid. It's not that the criticism is not valid. We're going to get you some answers over this next hour. We're going to tell you about what we know about the vaccine rollout as it is rolling out in the province of Ontario. It's different in different places. A bit of a patchwork. Why is that? We'll ask that question. Plus, Sheba Siddiqui will join me in just a moment. My producer, she's got some good news on the vaccine front for her family. She'll tell you about that coming right up. Now, on Monday on the radio program here, we asked you, is COVID killing sex for couples? We just came straight out and said it. That's what we do here on the Alan Carter radio program. And my, oh, my, did that ever get the responses coming in? Well, check out the podcast if you missed that conversation. This radio program available, of course, as a podcast coming up as a part two to our discussion about whether or not COVID is killing intimacy and causing problems for couples. We're going to talk about the changes to Canada's Divorce Act. My uh, divorce lawyer. Christy Marina will be with me. Not actually my divorce lawyer, but we'll get into that. And it's going to be your chance to tell me what's going on in your home. Is it stress or bliss? What's COVID doing to you? Your stories. Mm, It's going to be a spicy hour here on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Plus, you know what lit up the viewer inbox at Global News last night? I have another job. I'm not only the... uh, the host of this radio program, but I also uh, anchor, co-anchor, pardon me, the uh, local news here in Toronto between 5.30 uh, and 6.30 each night on Global with my co-anchor Farhan Nasser. And we had a, a wide-ranging discussion last night. We talked about the Royals. We talked about Oprah and her interview with Harry and Meghan. Uh, we talked about the weird Golden Globes. And then, and then I just dug into what is my favorite story, Buttergate. This Buttergate. Yeah, Buttergate. And I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Is the inbox, the viewer inbox, it lit up. People talking about Buttergate. They're so interested in Buttergate. Play that one for me again. This Buttergate. Yeah, this Buttergate. We're going we're gonna to tell you. More details about what's going on with Buttergate. We've been covering it here on the Alan Carter Radio Program. And what is it? how does it all add up? Is there really something going on in your butter? 
I'm telling you, right now, dairy farmers are just getting out their laptops and like, I'm sending that guy an email. Because I get, I get, I get contacts. I, I get contacted by the dairy farmers. They love me. So later in the program, we're going to get to the bottom of the butter barrel. But let's begin with trying to answer your number one question. Your number one question. And I see you. I see you right there with your hand up. I know what your question is. Your question is, when will I get my shot? That is the lens everything is being seen through today. And for the next foreseeable future, you know, you're going to be you know, be on your way to the grocery store. You call your wife and say, what, what do we need to pick up? He's like, you need to pick up a vaccine. When am I going to get my shot? Like that is going to be the lens that everything is viewed through for the next couple of months. In Peel region, they began booking with the portal today and doing some shots. And it's just oh, it's madness. And here's a man. Uh, from outside a vaccine clinic in Brampton who showed up today hoping to be able to get a shot. You know, these things happen. you got to deal with it to then sit. You know, I'm not mad about it. I hate to criticize him because I, I don't know the full story. No, I did not have an appointment. I just came over to see if I could book one. That's all. And they told me to phone my family doctor. So that's a man in Brampton who just showed up and tried to get an appointment. A lot of people trying to do that sort of thing. They can't use the portal. It's crashing. It's not working for them. Here is the medical officer of health from York region, different region, but nevertheless, really the message is the same, which is if you don't have an appointment, look, it's cold outside. And, you know, there are lineups, and it's not a good thing. So if you don't have an appointment, here is uh, Dr. Kurji from York region. We urge people really only to come there if they've actually got a booking made. Unfortunately, there are some people who do come there without bookings. Um, we also urge people to possibly stay in their cars, be dressedly warmed, and just appear about 10 minutes prior. So just just show up a little bit beforehand. We're at a situation where the rollout has been fits and starts, uh, and like I say, you know, where depending where you are, the different regions, a different sort of thing. And so and we have old people standing outside, you know, 80 plus year olds standing out there. That's not good. That's not the way it should be. Sheba Siddiqui is my producer, joins me. Sheba, you got some good news on the vaccine front? I have some great news. Oh, please, uh, my, I could I could stand for the, some great news. Go ahead. My 83-year-old father is getting his vaccine tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Over the moon. I can't wait. He lives So he lives in a retirement home. The entire retirement home will be getting their vaccine, the first dose of their vaccine. But he's been on lockdown in there since Christmas. We haven't seen him. And I miss him. He doesn't know how to Skype, Zoom, FaceTime. He's not very technologically inclined. So we haven't seen him in months. And it's all phone conversations. And it, it hurts because I can hear his mental health deteriorating. Hmm. He's stuck in a small bedroom. All of his meals come to his bedroom. He hasn't seen anybody. He hasn't really spoken to anybody other than over the phone. And we miss him. I can't wait to see my father again. My kids are missing their grandfather. Every We have a little tradition in our house. Every Saturday afternoon, their grandpa pulls up on the driveway with a pizza hmm. Um doesn't come in the house, drops it off, and then leaves. And I've been telling him, and I never got it. I thought, Dad, I'll just order them the pizza. I'll tell them it's on your behalf. For him, it's just having to go through, get it, bring it to the house, bring it to his grandkids. That's what matters to him. So I've just stopped. I've laid off. It's a tradition that my kids and their grandpa have. And I miss him, Carter. I can't wait to see him again. 
So one t- step tell closer. me about the process, though. I mean, so it's because he's in congregate care. That's all. It's not something you had to do. You didn't have to go through no, a portal. No, I didn't have like to. That. I was prepared to. Yeah. I was prepared to at first, but then I spoke with the retirement home, and everybody in the building is getting it. They made the appointment with um, with public health, and they're actually coming in. They're coming the into the home. Too. They're actually exactly. Home. So nobody's they're, they're having to home. leave or go anywhere. So you know what? What's going to be a big concern for some of your neighbors might be because maybe their parents might not be in congregate care, and so that's a yes. different sort of thing. Now uh, in Halton, they are. I is that portal open? I don't believe it is. Oh man, correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody know? This is the thing, is that we have portals in Peel, we have a portal in York, we have nothing going in Toronto because we don't have enough, Uh, and then we have a provincial portal that's supposed to launch on March the 15th. So many, many questions. We're trying to get all of those answers uh, for you. I want to ask you you this. Obviously, your dad, uh, Shiva, is not going to know which um, vaccine he's going to get. But did you see this news about uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine for seniors today? No. Tell me about it. Well, so now we've got this committee that says to the feds that we should not give it to seniors at all, just not even use it. So, I mean, we don't have any of it yet anyway, so that's that's not that's not a big issue. It's not like there's a senior somewhere going, wait a second, well, what did I get? Well, you, you, didn't, you didn't get the AstraZeneca because it's not here yet. So it's coming. But when it comes, what they're saying now is it will be, it will be focused on the under sixty-five, and will go towards frontline healthcare workers and police. And did you notice that in the province of Ontario that we inoculated a bunch of police officers and frontline workers? And there's been a bit of a hue and cry about that it, from some quarters to say, well, why would we do that when we know? that it is the older people that are more at risk. I have read that actually about AstraZeneca. So uh, I I am aware of that. And, you know, that's a great question that you're asking. At the same time, essential workers, I do understand why they, they have to be in the forefront of getting that vaccine. Uh, it's it's honestly it's so confusing i can see it's so frustrating i'm reading online people are trying to log in get their parents their grandparents logged in get them an appointment and websites are crashing people are locked out it's such a frustrating situation and i just hope this can move as smoothly and quickly as possible because i do feel we are behind i have yeah, friends well, in we england are. i have friends we are. We are. In the I mean, States. And they can't believe. They're asking me, what's going on in Canada? Why haven't you guys gotten your vaccine yet? It's frustrating. Sure, sure it is. It's frustrating. And, and which brings us to what British Columbia announced it was going to do. Uh, yesterday, British Columbia said it is going to extend the time between first and second dose. I'm going to push it out to four months. And the reason to do that is because, well, now you don't reserve anymore and you're hoping to get more vaccines out faster in Ontario, has asked the feds, they've asked this, we heard this in the news, they've asked this weird body, you know, for approval to do it. I don't seem, I don't, I can't get an answer as to why British Columbia just did it and and Quebec has just done it and Ontario seems to be waiting for permission on it. I want to play this for you, Shiba. This is Isaac Bogosh, uh, infectious disease specialist who's on the vaccine uh, table here in Ontario. Uh, he was on this radio show, or on this radio station, pardon me, earlier today, and he was asked, is this a good idea, this four-month interval? I can't confidently look you in the eye and tell you with a straight face 
the outcomes of delaying that second dose by four months. Uh, but I can confidently look you in the eye and tell you with a straight face that it's, it's reasonable to extend the, the duration of that second dose. Uh, she, I don't understand. Yes. Yeah, well, let's just put that on the ledger of questions. Uh, and the answer uh, <laughs> side of the column is relatively empty. Which is I'm so confused. I'm so frustrated. So confusing. I don't understand. Uh, it's so, I don't know. Like, like Jason Chapman says, our executive producer, explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old, really. Because things change so quickly and well, let me, everybody's let, got a different set of rules. Well, Jason, Jason Chapman, um, you know, six-year-old would be about where you'd be aiming a conversation with him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the boss, so I can say that. Uh, but but he, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say to Jason Chapman and anybody else. Take a deep breath. And now you can be angry. <laughs> you <know? laughs> because I, you gotta you got to take one deep breath in. And then let yourself be angry because I, the, the the fact of the matter is it's going to be totally different four weeks from now, and we're going to have different uh, priorities four weeks now. We're going to be all ticked off because Israelis and Americans and Britons are all going to be in a hot tub making out, and we're going to be just sitting up here in you know the Great White North, frozen in our own places, and that's that's unfortunate. So you're telling me in four weeks we can go, go into our hot, hot tubs and make out? No, no, no. Saying. I said in, in four weeks we'll be in a different place. You know, those other nationalities will be in the hot tub. We won't be into a hot tub until next year. Uh, but but four weeks there. from now we'll have, di- like, we'll have different problems. We won't be worried about the portal. We won't be worried about the patchwork. We won't be worried about a bunch of different things. We'll, have, we'll be worried about, you know, which, you know, is this the AstraZeneca? I don't want this one. That's the problem we're going to have. Well, baby steps, let's all get there slowly but surely and move on to a post-COVID world. Oh, oh that's beautiful. Well, listen, Jason Chapman, uh, my boss, just uh, messaged me, I am still angry. Okay, so he, he did the deep breath and it didn't work for him. Well, he has anger issues. Just uh, keep keeping up to date what's happening at Queen's Park. In our last segment, we were talking about Ontario applying to this federal agency to get permission, quote-unquote, permission to extend the time lapse between a first and a second dose. The big difference that would make, obviously, is that if you were able to kick down that second dose further down the line and that, you know, ramping up of uh, supplies, it means that you'd be able to get more needles into arms faster right now. Um, And it appears from what uh, the health minister, um, Christine Elliott, has been saying is that they're just they're going to wait for the guidance from this federal agency before they even consider doing what Quebec and British Columbia have already announced that they are doing. It is unclear why Ontario is waiting for that. Is that political cover? It's it's unclear. Stay with us here on Global News. I know Travis Danrej, our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, is looking at that. We're hoping to get more on that and answer more of your questions because really, what is the one question you have? What is the one question you have? When am I getting my shot? Right? Am I right or am I right? I'm right. I'm always right. Let's talk about what's going on in your home. Let's talk about your relationships. Yesterday here on this uh, radio program, Shiva Siddiqui and I discussed the the story that was in the Globe and Mail that uh, speculated that one of the casualties of the COVID-19 pandemic is in the boudoir. 
and that because we're all cramped together in our little spaces and looking at each other, it is putting a strain on our relationships. And so not only is the boudoir, but intimacy and you know, any kind of relationship is strained. And we have heard anecdotally that this has driven up divorce rates and that people are just, that's it. I've had it. I can't possibly look at you for a moment longer. I am out. Let me call my divorce lawyer. Well, with that, we also have some changes in legislation that came into effect yesterday, namely changes to Canada's Divorce Act. To help me sort through all of this, I am welcome. I am pleased to welcome back to the program Christy Marina, who's a divorce lawyer with McDonald and Partners. Christy, how you doing? Hi, Ellen. I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm okay. Uh, let, let's let's deal with the news off the top, which is how significant are these changes? What do people need to know about the changes to the act? They're huge. They're huge. We finally have like the Divorce Act is a federal piece of let- legislation, and for years it was missing stuff, and now we finally have stuff codified in the Divorce Act, which is big time. So some of the biggest changes are that custody and access, as the world knows them, are not things anymore. They've done away with the words custody and access. The new legislation is incredibly child-focused, and the word custody and access have now been replaced with things like decision-making and parenting time. And there's not custody orders anymore. They're parenting orders and they're contact orders. Because the problem is, is that when you have words like custody and access, people start to view that as winning and losing, right? Like, I get custody and you don't. I'm the primary parent and you're just the access parent. And that's not good for kids in most situations. So we've done away with wording like that um, to focus on you know, parents being involved, It's not about winners and losers. Most people don't even know what custody means. We have people who come in all the time, you know, across the board who, you know, I want custody of my child, and they don't even know what it means. It has nothing to do with the actual amount of time your child spends with you. So that is a big deal, getting rid of words like that. Um, Another big change is that, you know, we finally have, the courts are only supposed to consider what's in the best interest of the child. And that test, a best interest test, has been codified in provincial legislation, but we haven't had it in the Divorce Act. And now we have it. We have a best interest test codified in the Divorce Act. And in that, which is another huge change, is that it expressly says that the courts are now to consider, in evaluating what's in the best interest of the kids, family violence. And that's something that hasn't been in there before. In the past, when you look at the best interest of the child, the only time you were to consider past conduct, that was the wording, past conduct of the parent, as if it was relevant to a parent's ability to parent. Now we have an entire section added, defining family violence, saying you have to consider it, you have to look at it, because, you know, the legislation has finally, the legislators have finally recognized that violence means so many more things than just physical violence, right? right? It can, it's so many more things. And now we have that in there, and codified that you have to look at that in deciding what is in the best interest of children. You have to look at family violence. 
Speaking um, with Christy Marina, who's a divorce lawyer with McDonald and Partners, talking about the uh, changes to the Divorce Act. In in your estimation, those those are big, big changes. And as you point out, the real focus from the government has been that this is more child focused. In practice, do you see it working that way? Uh, I hope so. I mean, they just came into effect. I know a lot of people have been trying, like, we've tried to switch to that wording um, just as we knew, because these these changes were actually supposed to come into effect last year, and they got pushed uh, because of COVID. So we've been trying to incorporate uh, those the, those changes in wordings and things we've been doing. I hope so, because I really do see in practice, you do see the focus on words like custody and access and, you know, being, you know, the children are visiting you this weekend um, as opposed to spending parenting time with the other parents you know w- w- hopefully people um, when with that wording is put before them I hope I mean you know maybe not but I hope that it will detract from the whole winner loser aspect of it and it's really meant to focus on like you said and I've said the best interests of the children another huge change that uh, the divorce act made is on relocation when when one parent wants to relocate with the child we didn't have any guidance on that in legislation before now we had case law and we'd have to argue before judges you know how to interpret the case law uh in those cases but now we have an actual section in the divorce act that talks about a change of residence versus a full-on relocation what that means and what each there's a process you have to follow now there's an actual legislated process for what parents need to do if they want to move or relocate and there's factors to consider like it's just been put in our faces now which is lovely uh speaking with christy marina who's a divorce lawyer uh, i began the uh, segment talking about the anecdotal evidence it just seems like if i search you know divorce and covid as i did before the segment doing a little research i see a lot of sort of reports on it. It it seems to be mostly anecdotal. I I don't see any hard numbers really actually confirming it. Maybe it's too early. I mean, what's your experience? Has there been a rush into your office, people looking to get divorced? Um, We stayed consistently busy. There's ups and downs. There's busy times and there's less busy times. We certainly haven't seen a decline in people Hmm. coming in. That's, That's for sure. And Has your advice changed at all to clients because of COVID? Uh, Depending on what it is. I mean, we had to deal with at the beginning, you know, people were confused over confused and scared over what to do with covid right and how do the children go back and forth between the houses and what do we do so and you know we were following an emerging body of case law that was coming out on these issues which we've never seen before so we've had to tailor things around this new world that we've been living in that you know whenever it's gonna if ever this is going to come to an end so it's had to been it's been tailored but the overall general concepts and principles and guiding factors are all still there. That hasn't changed. Do you predict that there will be a surge once the pandemic is over? Like, you know, once I'm out of this, I'm out of this sort of thing? I mean, that's like you said, anecdotally, that's what we've heard. And it has been it has been busy and we've had, you know, busier times than others. But I I've heard a lot about anecdotally also about a surge. Right. When people don't have to stay in the same houses or when people, you know, uh, you know, when incomes are impacted by the job loss that we've seen and the layoffs. 
um, parenting during this time. So, I mean, I've heard that, you know, it, it might be coming, so we'll see. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, Christy, thank you so much for bringing me up to date, especially on these changes to the Divorce Act. They're very important. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks. That is Christy Marina, divorce lawyer. Not my divorce lawyer. I often introduce her that way as she's my divorce lawyer, as in uh, she is the divorce lawyer that comes on my radio program. I like Christy. I'm not so fond of my divorce lawyer. My divorce lawyer was not great. (laughs) In fact, I had two divorce lawyers. Uh, I fired the first one, uh, and I disagreed sharply with the second one, which maybe means that the problem was with me. It's quite possible. Getting updates from Queen's Park right now about the vaccination rollout plan in the province of Ontario. Vaccination rollout plan, and here is the update. You will get more, you will get no more, pardon me, you will get no more details from the province about the vaccination rollout plan until we find out from this weird federal agency about whether or not we can kick the second dose down the road for months. British Columbia has done it, Quebec has done it, Ontario is asking this federal agency to weigh in on it, and Christine Elliott, the deputy of deputy minister, rather deputy premier, pardon me, and minister of health, has said there will be no more updates on the vaccination rollout plan until the province gets clarity on that, because obviously once they know that, then they can tailor the plan and the Liberal uh, interim leader, the interim leader, or I guess no longer the interim leader, pardon me, uh, was the interim leader. Uh, Stephen Del Duque is now the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. But uh, John Fraser has just called Ontario's vaccination plan more of a stroll out than a rollout. Man, that is that is some weak sauce right there. It's uh, it's it's some watered down butter. You knew we would get back to the Buttergate, didn't you? Last night on uh, the television, which is my other job, I also uh, co-anchor the global newscast here in Toronto between 5.30 and 6.30 with my co-anchor Farhan Nasser. And, and I, I did a little bit, just a little bit, a little, little, little chat about Buttergate. And the phone lines went nuts. People wrote in, they emailed, they had advice, they talked about their butter. Everybody's concerned about their butter. So the question you might have, is what in the world is Buttergate? Sheba Siddiqui is with me. Sheba, before we began all of this, what was it, like Wednesday, Thursday of last week, had you heard of Buttergate? No, I had never heard of Buttergate, actually, until you brought it to my attention. And now I can't stop hearing about it everywhere. It's uh, it's just one of those things, as soon as it pops into your brain, you see it everywhere. And it's a big concern for me, because now I'm actually doing research in it. I sat down this weekend, and I went on the Internet, and... You know, be careful what you read, but it freaked me out because we bake all the time. Right. I mean, my kids love it. My kids bake with me. Uh, I have more time to bake now. They love butter on their toast. And it's an arm workout lately to spread the butter. So it's good to know that something's going on. I bought two uh, sticks of butter yesterday at the grocery store. And I just, I just, I did a double take. I looked at it. I did a double take and thought, hopefully this sorts itself out. I, I don't know. I want my butter to go back to normal. Well, here, here is what's actually happening with Buttergate. And I'll explain it to you. In in case, like a lot of people, you just, you think, what is this story and what is it about? Well, it begins with a cookbook author and food editor who has, who notices, you know, basically what you're talking about, Sheba, which is, it's, hey, the butter's weird. It's not 
it's not melting or not not warming up like it used to be. And so here's Julie Van Rosendahl on this radio program talking about a tweet and a, a social media, a couple social media posts that she put out and what happened next. The response was overwhelming. Hundreds of people, I think a thousand on Facebook, um, saying, I thought it was just me. You know, we were just having this conversation. So it was clearly something that was going on um, across the country, you know, from season to season, not just limited to one brand uh, or one, you know, batch of butter. So so I kind of dug into it and uh, was working on this story for the Globe and Mail and and made that connection between the, the palm fats um, in as a supplement, the palm fat-derived supplements that are marketed to dairy farmers to boost output and to increase the butter fat content. Um, and the resulting, you know, the change in the, the fatty acid profile of the resulting milk. That is Julie Van Rosendahl, who is a cookbook author uh, and food editor with the Globe and Mail, who was speaking on this radio program talking about Buttergate. So it's about the palm oils is what it's about. But really, has anything changed? This is where it gets confusing, Sheba. So first of all, the New York Times is calling Julie Van Rosendahl the Aaron Brockovich of Canadian butter, <laughs> which I I love that. She's also, um, this Buttergate has made it to Jimmy Fallon as well. He's talking about Canadian butter now as well. So this is a pretty, it's becoming a global story. Um, She's got a lot of great points there, and palm oil is being used to get more butter and milk. I think that they're giving it to the cows. Now, I have read in my research that the dairy, far- dairy farmers of Canada are actually asking dairy farmers to consider alternatives mm-hmm. to palm supplements. Yeah, and that that is true. And so when you read that, then you think, well, then certainly something must be up because if dairy farmers are now, you know, the actual organization now, especially in Quebec, saying, well, let's, Let's look at it, and maybe we shouldn't use any of these additives anymore. Well, let's get some more truth on that about the use of palm oils in cattle feed. And on this radio program, we had a University of Guelph food science professor, Alex Marangioni, and here's what he had to say. If you spend 10 minutes on the Internet, you find all the published papers that say, yeah, we have palmitic acid, and yeah, the butter, the milk fat, comes out with like 25% more, 30% more palmitic acid. Um, it's like very well established and, and, and like that. That, that. There's no mystery to that. What I find mysterious is that all of a sudden everybody, like the, the, the dairy industry goes, oh my God, this is happening? How surprising. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean it's surprising? That is uh, Alex Marangioni, who is with the University of Guelph, a food science professor. Great point there. This is this has been happening for a long time. Doesn't really see is there anything different. It, it's just that all of us, you know, we have this tweet, Sheba, and it you know goes viral. And you, like you say, Julie Van Rosendahl is being called the Aaron Buttervich, and 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 the dairy industry has had to respond. I, you know, I've, I was raised to always trust the dairy industry, to believe, you know, those milk commercials as a kid, I would consume it all the time. And I I trust them. And I trust what they're telling me. And I trust what they're going to do. And I trust what they're giving me. And now my children is all good and natural and healthy. 
so the fact that they're actually asking farmers to consider alternatives, I think I take that as a good sign. Uh, I, how long palm oil has been used? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Do you know how long this has been going on? Apparently, this goes back for decades. This is not. Wow. This is the what what they're saying is, is not something new. And but what we don't know is has there been an increase in the usage? You know, throughout the course of the pandemic, Julie Van Rosendahl, when she was on this program, said, you know, pointed out. I think what we all know, which is we're all baking more. We all, you know, and and, and that trend actually was in place before the pandemic. You know, people, you know, wanted more. A fat product. They wanted, you know, in, we were, were out of the, you know, the lean, no fat sort of um, desire for our our diet. So that has changed. And so dairy farmers have been doing this to try and increase uh, the butterfat content. I, I want to play this for you because we talk about the dairy industry, and you made such a great point there, uh, she. But this is the one of the whistleblowers. This is Sylvain Charlebois. Uh, who is the senior director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Now, what he has said is he sort of, you know, said, come along and said from a scientific point of view, from a research point of view, yeah, I agree with what everybody anecdotally is reporting about their butter, and, and you should look pretty skeptically at anything that the dairy industry of Canada is telling you. For the longest time, they've, they've controlled the narrative. Uh, every time there's been some issues related to dairy, they've done a really good job communicating to the public. Even though they're not very transparent, they've done a pretty good job reassuring the public on, on anything, uh, really, over the years. Uh, they, they're, I mean, they spend $160 million in marketing every year, so they have a lot of money. It's, it's a very powerful lobby, likely the most powerful in the country. But with this butter gate, um, I would say for the first time, and I'm doing, I've been doing this for 25 years, this is probably the first time they haven't been able to control the narrative. And, uh, and now they're panicking. And, and one way to, to address this issue is to perhaps silence some dissenting voices, and I'm, I'm one of them. That is Sylvain Charlebois from Dahazie University, saying that the dairy industry is looking to discredit him because he's one that is raising his hand and is pointing to an increase in the use of palmitic acids, which has prompted a lot of consumers to say something is up with the butter. That I just can't stop listening to that, uh, Sheba, you know, that I'm one of the people trying, you know, to say that the narrative is not what the industry claims. I agree with you. I'm in the same boat as you. I also, the fact that he, you know, he's getting threats, Professor Charlebois, and he's, and they are trying to control that narrative. That's what worries me because I've always had full trust in them. And if they're behaving like this, if they're worried about what, you know, he's saying as a researcher, that's concerning. But on the other hand of it as well, Julie Van Rosendale has also said that she, they've been very supportive of her mm. and they have, yeah. and they've watched her explain both sides of it. So, I mean, she doesn't seem to be getting any negative feedback from anyone. Yeah, and, and you, make a, you make a great point. And that was another part of one of these interviews that we did. And by the way, after I had uh, Professor Shalabaugh on, I got a lot of email from dairy farmers who said, look, this, uh, you know, I don't trust what you hear. And, 
And, you know, I wouldn't say they were trying to discredit him as much as they were trying to encourage me as a journalist, you know, to look into it further and, you know, questioning uh, motives. And so just for perspective here, for a, a different perspective, as Sheba points out, uh, Ms. Rosenthal said that she had a very different experience with the industry. I, my response has been very helpful. I haven't had any pushback uh, from farmers, from industry leaders, um, from scientists. I've had a lot of positive emails since the story came out um, saying thank you for, for being thorough and offering to help moving forward. So it, it's been heartening to see that so many conversations are happening around this right now, and there have been moves toward, um, you know, l- reducing or limiting or banning altogether the use of these palm supplements uh, in the industry. So, so yeah, I haven't had any pushback. I haven't had anything negative. It's been really great. That is Julie Van Rosendahl on this radio program. Ms. Van Rosendahl is a cookbook author and a food editor with the Globe and Mail and the one that sort of kicked off Buttergate with her question about what is up with your butter. Now, we've looked at this from a bunch of different angles, Sheba. I mean, what's the takeaway for the consumer? What it, it, is your trust eroded? <laughs> That's a good question. So I am questioning things now. Yes. Like I said, when I was buying my sticks of butter this weekend, I did sort of hesitate. I did a double take. Um, it's forcing me to think about things I never thought of before and sort of dig deeper and analyze what I'm consuming, what I'm feeding my children and my family. It definitely makes you think. I mean, Professor Marangoni, the food science professor from the University of Guelph, he also spoke on your radio program about how butter has this image of being natural. It's natural. It's healthy. People are surprised that it's actually not. Uh, And dairy farmers don't disclose these changes because it'll turn people off from just the ideology that they're consuming this natural product. So it really, it's making me think, it's making me do my research, and hopefully something comes out of it. Hopefully some changes come out of it. Hopefully I stop, you know, having to work out my biceps, having spreading butter on my children's toes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Sheba. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective, and thank you for helping me get those great guests as we continue our coverage of what are, what are the, uh, the most delicious story out there, I think. I absolutely believe that. No, I tr- I really do, for all the, the bad puns, is that I, I do think that it, it is an interesting story, and it raises a bunch of questions that we don't like to ask in this country. We don't really like to confront things like marketing boards. Like, whoa, is that ever a complicated issue? Like a dairy marketing board and how that works, and whether or not does that somehow play into... The fact that dairy farmers would increase palmitic acids because of dairy board marketing. There's been suggestion that that's precisely the reason behind it. But it's difficult to know because the whole system is so complicated and so opaque. And we have this in this country, which is this is kind of general institutional reluctance to tell us what's going on, whether that's Dairy Farmers of Canada, that organization, whether it's the banks, whether it's the police, on down the line, the courts. I mean, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the dairy. You're, you're, you're information and lactose intolerant, both together. And that's kind of a problem, and that's why we end up with situations like Buttergate, 
where consumers all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, you know, yeah, wait a minute, you're, you are right. There's something up here. Oh, and it turns out there might be something up because even dairy farmers of Canada is saying, well, we should look at potential alternatives to using this. I mean, there's questions about environmental damage because of using these palm supplements. To be clear, I want to be absolutely clear. There is no suggestion that there's any health implications from it. It's nobody is saying, nobody's saying your butter's going to make you sick. Nothing like that. So just, I want to be absolutely clear about that. But it is an institutional reluctance to tell us as consumers, as Canadians, what is going on from everything from what's on our table to what's happening on our streets and what's going on in the courts and the corridors of power. And here on this radio program, do what we can, Sheba and I, in our small way, to try and shine some light and spread some soft, creamy truth.